Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. So we began a series last week entitled, Blessed, Broken, and Given. And we're, we're looking at your life story in the hands of Christ. And last week we saw that Jesus uses our life like he uses bread. He takes something common, he takes something ordinary, he takes something that most people don't think a whole lot about and he uses it for extraordinary purposes. And bread is the perfect metaphor for our lives. Bread's common. Bread's ordinary. There's nothing. Now listen, I love bread just as much as the next guy. I love carbs. So if you, oh, you got to do low carb, no, I don't. I don't want to. I like bread. But bread's common. Bread's ordinary. There's nothing really spectacular about bread. And it's common. And sometimes bread is broken. But in Jesus' hands, bread becomes sacred and miraculous. And so does your life. Your life in the hands of Christ becomes something sacred and miraculous. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to see what it means to have our life be blessed, be broken, and be given by Jesus. Tonight, we're going to look at what it means to have your life truly be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed. Now, in our society, uh, we have drastically changed what it means to be blessed. And if you, you look at social media, the idea that our culture has of being blessed is vastly different than what the Bible says true blessing is. To be, you know, hashtag blessed is to have a beautiful latte. It's to see a wonderful sunset. It's to have your kitchen remodel go great. It's to have the perfect Instagrammable meal or the perfect Instagrammable family. And we look at all these things and say, oh, look at this wonderful, I'm hashtag blessed because I have all these. Look at my car, I'm hashtag blessed. And that's what our culture says being blessed is. But that has nothing to do with what the Bible means when the Bible says that God has blessed us. And before we get, we need to understand every one of us here, you are blessed by God. No matter what you're going through, your life may be a wreck, your, your marriage may be on the rocks, your job may be up in the air, your finances may be in turmoil, your health may not be the greatest it can be, but no matter what situation you're in, you are blessed by God. And a lot of what we associate a blessed life with, uh, having good health, having good provision, having a good job, having beauty in our life, those things are gifts from God but they are only hints. They are only shadows of what true blessedness really is. So to reframe how we think of being blessed, we need to look at the beginning. So look in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without, without form and void, 
and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. Then skip down to verse number 10. And God called the dry land, earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Then skip down to verse number 16. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in firmament of the heaven to giveth light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Then look down at verse number 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply the earth. Then skip down to verse number 25. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let, us, let, ha, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over everything that moveth upon the earth. And throughout the creation story, we see God saying a couple things. God created, God saw that it was good, and God blessed what he created. Our origin story is the origin story of all of creation, of the entire universe. God established blessedness and blessing from the origin of the world. So to understand who we are and what it means to be blessed, we have to go back to creation. We have to go back to the original blessing of the world. When the, the Bible tells us the story of the beginning, it begins with a person. It begins with God. In the beginning, God. Everything we see, everything we touch, everything we taste, everything we smell, everything that exists in the entire universe has its origin in God. Now, in ancient times, people who weren't believers of, of, of God or followers of Yahweh or the Jewish religion, people who didn't believe in the God of the Bible, they still believe that the world and the universe was a created, in, a created thing. They didn't believe it was just some happy accident like people believe today. They knew that everything came from a God. They just debated about which God it was, whether it was 
one God or a collection of gods. They all knew that the world wasn't an accident. They all knew that everything was created. Now, of course, people today, they believe that everything we see and enjoy here is just some some good luck after some random events that everything just kind of randomly happened and happy accidents and all oh, these chemicals reacting instead of destroying everything they created life. And so everything's a happy accident. But in ancient days, they knew that everything was created. So it wasn't a question of if there was a God that created everything or how, but which God created everything. And the question of which God and why, they're massively significant. And these are the questions that the book of Genesis answers for us. Now, the neighbors of Israel, they all had their own gods. They believed their gods created all the world and created the people in it. They, and their gods were vengeful and mean and power-hungry. And they were, their gods desired to control everything in their belief system. And so the people that worship these false gods, they would cheat, they would lie, they would steal, they would murder, they would do anything they could to get their god more power and more control because in turn, it got them more power and more control. So why did their gods and their belief system create humanity? All the other uh, ancient beliefs believed that their gods created humanity to simply be slaves. To do the work that the gods didn't want to do. Now that's, that's not great news for us. Because that means we're just slaves to gods to do whatever those gods want to do. But when you compare the Genesis account to other accounts of creation we see a vastly different picture of the true God of the Bible. There are three things that set the God of the Bible, the God of Genesis, apart from all the other gods of the day. And we're going to look at them tonight. First thing we notice is, number one, there is only one God. The, The Bible in Genesis reveals Yahweh as the supreme sovereign God. The one and only creator God. You know, unlike their neighbors, Israel didn't have a separate God for different aspects of life. They didn't have a God of the sky and a God of the water and a God of the earth and a God of fertility and a God of the rain. They didn't have all these different gods to control all these different things. The one true creator God ruled over everything and was all-knowing and all-powerful and unsovereign in every single aspect of life. One God rules everything. And young Israelites, they would memorize scripture that would remind them of this. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So in the Genesis account, in the Bible account, at the beginning of everything, God exists and God acts alone. Throughout Scripture, throughout the opening passage of Scripture, it is God who is created. It's not a a corporate entity of God. It's not a bunch of different gods saying, well, you do the sun, you do the stars, I'll do the ocean, you do this. It is one creator God taking care of everything. He is the only character. There's no one else giving input or ideas or helping creation in anyone. There is just one God who speaks one God who forms, one God who calls, and one God who blesses. 
Second thing we notice about this account is God created on purpose with a purpose. Now that seems obvious to us. But in ancient readers, they didn't understand that God, that everything was created on purpose and with a purpose. Even today, most non-believers don't believe everything was created on purpose. It was just an accident. And so since we just happen to be here because of some cosmic sneeze, then life has no purpose and we can do whatever we want to do. But the Bible tells a different story. The Bible tells us that God created everything on purpose and he created everything with a purpose. Some ancient beliefs saw the creation of the world as a result of a bloody battle among the, among the different gods. It was the result of gods needing cheap labor around the universe. But the Bible tells us God created the world and made the world with a vastly different purpose. God created carefully. You know, when you read the account, it took God six days to create everything. And he he did it in a purpose. He did it methodically. He had a rhyme and reason to everything that he did. He created first of light, and then he had the the firmament. Then he separated the the land and the sea. Then he put the atmosphere, and then he put the plants in, and then he let it rain. And so he had a purpose and a rhyme and a reason for everything he did. God didn't need to take six days. God could have just said, let there be everything, and poof, there would have been everything. But he deliberately and purposely and methodically created everything with a purpose. So Genesis 1 and 2, it's the story of why we are here and why it matters. So why are we here and why does it matter? Simply put, we are here because God created us. God had a purpose and a plan and a reason for every single one of us here. God had a purpose to create every single one of us. God made us on purpose with a purpose in mind. We're not here to just be cosmic labor for some, some, uh, some angry deity. We are here for divine relationship with the sovereign God. That brings us to our third point. And... I've only got three points, and I know you're like, oh, point number three. But there's a lot after this, so don't get excited. Point number three, God blesses what he creates. Not only is God the sovereign and intentional creator, God also loves and blesses everything he created. Whatever God created, God loves. Whatever God created, God blesses. Whatever God created, God provides for and protects. And that's vastly different from the other accounts from the ancient world about the creation and of all the things and all the people. Other ancient accounts, the the gods that created man, they didn't bless man. They used man for their own benefit and their own uh, achievement. But God blesses what he created because God meant to create Everything. Throughout the Genesis account, God creates and says it is good. So what does it mean to have our life be blessed by God? It means that God looks at our life and says it is good. But what does it mean to be good? You know, good has a lot of different meanings. You know, this afternoon UVA was named to the top 25 of the 
the football uh, poll. That's good. Amen, John? They beat, they beat William Mary. That's good. Tech's not having a great year already. That's good. But that's not what the Bible, the word good, means. In Hebrew, the word good means excellent, perfect, and beautiful. So everything in the world that is good and beautiful is a result of God's blessing. And everything God created, God called good. Everything God created, he said, is perfect and beautiful and is, is, a, is excellent in God's eyes. That includes you. To your heavenly Father, you are excellent, you are perfect, and you are beautiful. And that's being blessed by God. No matter what you think of yourself, God thinks you're excellent and perfect and beautiful and good. Because God made you exactly the way he made you on purpose with a purpose in mind. And everything that God makes on purpose and for a purpose, he calls good and beautiful and he blesses. And that is our origin story. That's what it means to be blessed. That God created you. God loves you. God has a purpose for you. God sees you and God sees you as useful. That is what being blessed by God means. It doesn't mean a perfect Christmas photo for your family. It doesn't mean having a good latte. Being blessed is understanding what God thinks of you. It's understanding what God has in store for you. Being blessed isn't a state. It's a story. And it's your story. It's the story of why you're created and why you're here. It's the story of God, the creator, calling you into being for a purpose. It's the story of God taking delight in naming you as good and beautiful. It's the story of the Redeemer pursuing you. It's the story of God seeing you as perfect and useful and loving you so much that when sin entered the world and that relationship was broken, that his only son left the glory of heaven, came down to earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to be buried three days later and rise again so that you could have a relationship with God again. That is what it means to be blessed. It's the story of the God, creator God, calling you out of darkness and into the light. So what that tells us tonight is no matter what you're facing, because I know we've got a lot of trials in this room. There's health issues. There's financial burdens. There's relationship struggles we deal with. And all of us, we can look at our life and say, but I've got this going on. But no matter what you've got going on, God looks at you and says, they're good. They're perfect. They're beautiful, and I have a purpose for them. That's what it means to be blessed. So we look at our lives, and we don't see any blessings, and we don't think that God ever would bless us. But throughout the Bible, we see story after story of God blessing people, even people that the world or the culture of the day wouldn't think worthwhile of God blessing. In Genesis 16... God blesses a woman that no one would expect 
the heavenly father to bless a woman named Hagar. Now, Hagar was, of course, Sarah's handmaid. Sarah was Abraham's wife. And years before, God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have children. Well, years had gone by. They're getting older. They're not having any kids. And so Sarah decides to take matters into her own hands. And she says, hey, Abraham, I've got this handmaid, Hagar. Why don't you have a child with her and we'll raise it as our own? That will be the child that God's going to use to bless us with. And so Abraham, he does as Sarah suggests, and Hagar becomes pregnant. But as soon as she becomes pregnant, Sarah despises her. Sarah hates her. And Sarah goes to Abraham and says, I shouldn't have told you to do that. I hate this woman now. And Sarah, I mean, Abraham, being the, the manly man that he is, says, well, honey, you do what you want to do. And so Sarah goes to Hagar and emotionally and, and verbally abuses her to the point that Hagar leaves. She's pregnant. She's got no one. She's an Egyptian slave owned by Sarah. So she leaves the camp and she goes into the desert. She goes there to die. And while she's out there in the desert, physically, emotionally abused, verbally abused, not thinking very much of herself because here she is, she's just a slave being used for other people's needs and then they get mad at her and now she's out in the desert, she's going to die. She just feels pitiful for herself. But while she's out there, God sends an angel to meet her in the desert and to bless her. So here is God blessing an Egyptian slave, blessing a woman. Now, to be a woman in this time meant that you were literally regarded as property. The only way a woman could be considered useful was as she showed herself useful to a man. Whether it was for offspring or pleasure, domestic labor, a woman's usefulness was something she had to prove. Now, don't get mad at me. I don't like it. That's just the way it was in the culture. And so to be a woman was really to be a second-class citizen in the first place, but to be an Egyptian in the eyes of the Israelites was to be an enemy, was to be an outsider. To be a slave meant you had no freedom, you had no future. Slaves had no rights, they had no inheritance, they had no destiny, they had nothing going for them. So there is, there is culturally speaking, there is no reason we should know this woman's name. She should have been an unnamed outsider, invisible to God. But God blessed her. This slave, this enemy, this woman that was run off by Sarah and was prepared to die in the desert. Hagar thought it was over. She thought no one would come to her rescue, that no one would help her, that no one would care. But God did. God found Hagar by the well in the desert. She stopped for what she thought was one last drink. And then in Genesis 16, verse 7, it says this. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's handmaid, whence camest thou, and whence wilt thou go? So the angel of the Lord comes to, comes to her. And whenever you read in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, when you see an angel of the Lord, uh, it's, it's an angel, but it's when it's the angel of the Lord, many theologians believe it's a Christophany, it's an appearance of Christ. So here's Jesus coming to this woman. Even if it's not Jesus, it's an angel. 
that's a pretty big deal. I mean, even if God just sends an angel to talk to you, that's pretty important. But I believe God himself came to Hagar and asked her two questions. Where are you coming from and where are you going? And Hagar said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. So the angel of the Lord, he, he meets her there and he calls her by name and he asks her two questions. Where are you coming from and where are you going? Whenever God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He knows where she came from. He knows where she's going. How? Because he's God. He knows everything. And so he asks her because he is setting the stage for blessing her. These two questions, where are you coming from and where are you going, they're about her origin and they're about her destiny. Now, Hagar, she thought she knew her origin. She thought she knew her destiny. She thought she came from nothing and she was destined from nothing. But God here is to tell her that she didn't know her story. And so God tells her to go back to Abraham's house. Not because he condoned Sarah's mistreatment, but because he was going to use her, her presence at Abraham's house to bless her. And it's Genesis 16.10. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. This is the same promise God gave Abraham when he was in the earth of the Chaldees. And now he's given the exact same promise to Hagar. And so God wants everyone to be able to enjoy the blessings of God. And when Hagar understood this, when she understood that God loved her and God saw her and God knew her, she was in awe of God. She realized that God loved her, that God thought she was good, that God had a purpose for her life, and her life was blessed. So in the desert waiting to die, run off from her home, she is blessed by God. In verse number 13, and she called the name of the Lord, and spake, she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, I have also here looked after him that seeth me. She is blessed by God because God saw her. God saw her where she was in the desert, pregnant, about to run off from her, from, her, her hand, from her maiden, hated by Sarah, abused emotionally and, and, and verbally by Sarah, waiting to die. But God the Father loved her and saw her and thought a lot of her. Now, maybe you're here thinking that you aren't blessed. Maybe you're here like, like Hagar and you don't think that your origin story is found in the blessing of Genesis. Maybe like Hagar, you're, you're trying to run from a place of pain and suffering, convinced that God doesn't see you. God wants us to know, no matter how little we think of ourselves, no matter how little other people think of us, we matter to God. God sees us, God loves us, God calls us perfect and beautiful. To him, we are good, we are beautiful, we are perfect, we are useful, we are loved, and we have a purpose in his plan. So no matter what you think your origin or destiny is, God has an origin for you and a destiny for you in mind, and this is it. You are blessed by God.
Your origin is better than you think. Your destiny is greater than anything you could ever imagine. To be blessed is to be reminded of your origin, to be reminded that you are good, you are beautiful, you are perfect, you are useful, you are seen by God, and he has a purpose for you. The God that called light out of darkness is calling you. God has blessed you. God is blessing you. No matter what you're facing tonight, as a child of God, you are blessed.